Written by Gypsum F18 I'm David, and I have been a call handler for Cambridgeshire Police for five years, mostly working on emergency 999 calls. In that time, I must have taken hundreds of silent nine calls. A silent call isn't always silent. It's just how we refer to the call where the caller isn't responsive and no request for the police has been made. They are mostly people accidentally pocket-dialing, but you always have to go through the routine of trying to get a response. Checking the phone number against previous calls to see if there's any history to suggest someone may be in danger. Listening for any background noise to suggest any distress or disturbance. If there is a reason for concern, we will dispatch someone to check. Usually there isn't any concern, and the incident log is closed off without any further action. This call wasn't that unusual. An operator transfers the call through and states the basic facts. No request made for police. Possible breathing was heard down the line, but that wasn't very clear due to the background noise, which was, quite irritatingly, the theme tune to Peppa Pig. So many silent calls are from children playing with phones while sitting in front of the TV. So again, this wasn't too unusual. The line was still open, so I tried to engage with the caller. You're through to the police. Is anyone there? No response. If you can hear me, can you press a button on the keypad or make a noise? Still, no response. I did some system checks. There was a history of calls from this number from seven years ago, but these were all marked restricted so I couldn't see any details. After a while, satisfied there was no apparent emergency, I stopped trying and announced that I would be ending the call. Just as I pressed the button on my phone to hang up, I heard a voice. Hello? It said just as I cut it off. I instantly called back. The line answered, but again there was no response. Peppa Pig still played in the background, but not a full episode. Just the theme tune on repeat. Once again, it got to the point of ending the call, and just as I pressed the button to hang up. Hello? For fuck's sake. Before calling back again, I slid off my headset and walked over to the supervisor, advising him that I had a silent call with restricted history, to see if he could check the details for any reason for ongoing concern. I got back to my desk, ready to call back, and the supervisor came over to me, quicker than I expected. Don't worry about that history, he said nonchalantly. They're old incidents, and it might not be the same caller, might not even be the right number, could just be a glitch on the line. If there's nothing new on the call, get rid of it. I know it sounds harsh, but it wasn't unusual for us to be blunt about a 999 call. We deal with so many. If there's no sign of distress or disturbance, we can't waste any more time on it. A real emergency could be waiting. It wasn't unusual for call logs to be restricted either, usually because they contained information on other staff members or their families. Sometimes because the incident related to some ongoing operation only high-ranking officers could see. I decided to give the line one last callback. It rang and picked up as before. The Peppa Pig theme played on a loop. Hello? She sounded weak and confused. Can you hear me? I've been trying so long to get through. Why won't anyone help me? Why have you called us? What is the problem? I asked. She went silent for a while. Then... Nobody will help me. I keep calling. Can you help me? What is your name? I asked. 
Nicole? She paused. I think. Please help me. David, help me. Then the line went dead. I hadn't told her my name. Maybe someone else called David was there. I called her back. Stop calling me. Just come and help me, please. My daughter is here. We need help. Where are you? I ask, trying to get the key information to send someone out. 37 Butterfield Road. She sounded panicked, breathing heavily. Please, help. While she was talking, I was already updating my incident, entering the address and sending it for dispatch. I'm going to send someone right out to you. What's happening? The line cleared. I transferred the incident to the dispatchers on an immediate grade, the highest priority grade for attendance. I didn't understand what was going on, but someone was in distress, with presumably a young child present. We needed to attend. While I was updating the notes on the incident log, the system kicked me out. The incident became restricted, and the details on the incident list replaced with restricted. It wasn't unusual for this to happen, so only the dispatcher and the control room inspector, known as Oscar One, could see the incident, while still sending someone out to the address. I couldn't understand why this was restricted, but that was above my pay grade. Nicole kept calling throughout my shift. She was getting increasingly agitated and afraid. I assured her someone was coming out, but after an hour, I started to doubt this was the case. I spoke to my supervisor. They said they would ask Oscar One. Oscar One said this was even above them. They had been told not to attend it. It was being dealt with by another department as part of an existing operation. My shift came to an end at 2 a.m. Before then, Nicole had called a few more times. I kept telling her someone was dealing with it, but I don't think she believed me. She started to get angrier with me. She kept shouting her address at me, desperate for someone to come and help her. She was screaming my name at me, the name I had never told her. I noticed on my mapping system that I knew the road. It was near to my route home. I was glad to take off my headset when 2 a.m. came. I got in my car and drove home. Guided by compulsion, I drove down Butterfield Road. I wondered if someone may be there to help by now. I looked out for number 37, but I couldn't find it. It was a normal residential road, but in the middle there was a gap between houses 35 and 39, which was filled with small trees, well-maintained bushes, and a flower bed. I drove up and down the road a couple times to check if I had the right place, then stopped at a 24-hour off-license further down the road. I went into the shop to buy a can of Coke for an excuse to ask the lady at the till where number 37 was. She seemed unimpressed, rolling her eyes at me. Nicole's house? She asked. You're a few years too late to see it. I knocked it down to stop all you true crime nuts coming to gap at it. Once I had paid, she shoved my drink back across the counter at me. It's been almost a decade now. You dig people, let that poor family rest. I left. Clearly, the lady wasn't going to entertain any more questions from me. I got in the car and immediately went on my phone to search the internet for references to what happened at Nicole's house. I found an old local news story headline from seven years ago referencing the murder of her and her children and another more recent article suggesting the murder remained unsolved. 
my search was interrupted by a phone call from an unknown number. I had to answer. David! Nicole shouted. David, where are they? You promised me help was coming. I didn't know what to say, largely because I didn't know what was happening. Was I really talking to... I... I can't help you. The line cleared. Then, straight away, another call. Nicole screaming. A child cried out in fear in the background. The line cleared again. The phone rang. I didn't answer. It rang again and again and again. I couldn't answer again. Would these calls continue? I couldn't take it. I got out of the car and walked to the memorial garden where 37 Butterfield Road once stood. The flower bed occasionally glittered with gold in the streetlight. I went over and knelt down for a closer look. And the ground was littered with other SIM cards. Even whole phones had been discarded there. Some were old and partially submerged in the dirt, but others were fresh. Some were clean enough they could have been scattered here within days. I looked at my phone and considered adding my SIM card to the garden. You do? A man from behind me said with a drunken slur. The surprise made my heart stop. I turned to see a haggard man looking at the memorial garden. He stunk of vodka and smiled at me sadly. It won't stop her. It never does. He was right. Nicole still calls me. On any phone, at any time. No amount of call blocking efforts can stop her. Sometimes I accidentally answer. She still screams for help, facing a danger that has long since passed. I was pulled aside at the start of my first shift back at work to talk about the calls with an officer who had come up from London. I assumed she was from home office. She was very official and very guarded. I told her I had got calls on my personal phone and she didn't seem surprised. She told me it was officially a hoax caller, but we both know that wasn't true. I was instructed to keep a log of the calls and email them to her weekly. I've been off work for two weeks now. The woman who visited me told me to take off as much time as I needed, on full pay. Her department would authorize it as long as I kept them updated. After all, I wouldn't be much use going to work just to talk to a woman who doesn't know she is dead. Thank you for listening. You can handle another horror story, right?